Well, every, well, hello everyone. Welcome to episode 3000 of the Survival Podcast. I will be uh, running this live stream as an audio as always later, and I'm going to be doing it exactly the way that it's being done here. Uh, no special intros, no intros, outros, nothing like that. Just uh, straight up talk to you guys uh, and, and a thank you right out of the gate for helping me reach this milestone. When I originally figured out, like, hey, I'm about to do episode 3000, I was like, you know, that's that's really cool. It made me maybe think of the uh, the old movie with Bernie Mac in it, Mr. 3000, about baseball and getting 3000 hits or something like that. But I also kind of thought, I'm not going to do anything this time. We had some landmark episodes where we recognized like the significance of hitting a certain number a couple times, and I'll mention those today. But I was like, I'm just going to do a regular old everyday show. And uh told my wife this morning when I got up and when she got here with the grandkids for the day, said, uh, I really don't know what I'm going to do today. And she just laughed. She said, you always figure out something. And my uh, my grandson popped up and said, isn't this episode 3000? And that was just like, yeah. And if he remembers that, maybe I should do something a little bit different. So I decided I would I would take today to reflect on almost 14 years of doing this show in 3000 episodes. And when I think about that, it is a, it's a pretty big achievement. I don't know how many other shows out there have done 3000 legitimate episodes because we don't count our rewinds and stuff like that in our, our show count number. We we've done 3000 episodes and I say we, and you're going to find that to be common today as I go through, uh, as I go through things that I'm going to keep saying we. And what I, what I want to be very clear about when I say that is, yeah, I'm including my family and the people that have actually physically been involved with the production of the show at one time or another throughout everything. But when I say we, I don't, I don't, I don't just mean those. I mean all of you. Everybody that's ever listened, everybody that's ever shared the show, everybody that's ever been part of this, because as you're going to hear today, this was a team effort and I got a lot of help along the way, and I think more help than many of you even know. Many of you are aware of some of the people who have been deeply involved and have been kind of under the spotlight uh, over the years. And some have come in and then went on and done their own things, and some uh, are still here, or some of them are relatively new. But there's been a lot of people that helped, and some, maybe their names maybe have never been heard publicly before today. So we'll get to that in a bit. I do want to start out, and I'll probably say it a couple times during this, because I don't want anybody's feelings to be hurt or feel like, man, he didn't mention me. Um, if I sat here and all I had today, just from from the time I started, if I sat down for a couple of days and just wrote down first and last names of everybody that did something meaningful that helped me that I can remember from my own, you know, just from my brain, not even going through records or anything, I'd probably sit here five hours naming names, and 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 I don't think that that's probably the way to do this. But I, I just want to be clear, if, if if you're someone that's been part of this community and, and you don't hear me mention you, I, I apologize in advance, and there is a, a limit to what I can do here. But what I wanted to start out with, for those that may not know, is that um, 
how this all started. And somebody just mentioned Noah Genji just celebrated 1400 episodes and their 14th anniversary. They're the only podcast I'm aware of that's been running as long as TSP. Yeah. I, I, I love Adam Curry and you're going to hear me mention him with a little bit of pride in, in beating him in something, uh, later. Uh, but he calls himself the pod father and I think he is the only person that's been around as long as we have. Um, but how it all started. So I used to drive about an hour and a half every morning to my office from Arlington up to Frisco, Texas. And I used to listen to talk radio and music back and forth. And a person that's really part of why TSP even exists, and it's not like, oh, I want to be like him. It was just more what happened is Glenn Beck. And I think a lot of people probably don't know that Glenn Beck is part of the Genesis story of the survival podcast. One day, and this is 2008, and we all knew some bad things were coming, at least those of us that were halfway awake even. Glenn talked a little bit about storing some food and water and things like that. He only did it for about two minutes, and he stopped. And he went on back to his political stuff, and I went, well, gee, that's the most interesting thing that I've heard on talk radio in a long time. So I started listening to his show, waiting to see if that would come back around. And this is probably about April of 2008. And occasionally it would, and it would be interesting. And it would last a minute. And it would go back to, you know, political ass clowns fighting with each other and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, somebody should really do that. And that summer of that year, I had started a new company with my business partner, Neil Franklin. And we were doing web development design and marketing services for, for brands. And I met a guy who was a financial advisor who said, hey, you know these new things called podcasts? And I'm like, yeah, I'm aware of them. He goes, I want to do a website, I want to do a blog, and I want to do a podcast. So I went, I met with him, and we mapped out his, his goals and his dreams and, and things like that. And uh, I, uh, I I came up with a whole uh, proposal for him, and I went back, and I gave it to him, and I said, okay, we're, we're all ready to roll. And he said, great, and he just signed it immediately and cut me a check for 50% deposit. Went back and said, my web guy, we got this. He looks at it all. He goes, no problem, except I don't know how to set up a podcast. I'm like, I'll go figure it out. And I got in my car, and this is not one, but it's about as big as the little device I'm holding up. I had a little bitty recorder about the size of this remote control that's in my hand. It was like a $30 product from Best Buy. And I had a headset that was like a $19 Plantronix, you know, 3.5 millimeter plug-in headset. And I got in my car. And I started doing the survival podcast because of those two events. I also knew right away that I, I wanted it to be something. I had had enough success and enough background in business and marketing and sales in my life to know that if you were going to do something like that, it was probably worth doing for real. And so I started working as hard as I could at making it successful. But what I want to come at with a little bit today is who I was versus who I am. 14 years is a long time, guys. We're not quite at 14 yet, but we're closer to 14 than we are to when we cross 13 at this point. Um, it's easy to just say and, and throw a number on it and say, well, I was 36, and now I'm 49. And that does, I guess, make a little bit of an impact. But I think what makes a bigger impact is, well, who was I? If, if I look at you know, my career, I can put it that way. But just in my life, who was I? I was a mid-30s parent of a high school student. That high school student is now in his 30s. He's the father of two wonderful children who are my grandchildren. I'm now a grandfather that gets to homeschool my grandkids. 
That's, that's a pretty big difference. At the time, I was a fairly decent known speaker in business and technology. So now today I, I am a very successful long-term full-time podcaster. That's different. When I started TSP, I, I didn't really know much about permaculture, and now I'm a well-known teacher in the space of permaculture. And I could keep going, but I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. I just want to talk about the change, the transformation. I am a completely different person than when I started this. And at the, and at the same time, I've tried to remain true to being the same man. And it is amazing when I think about it that way. That, that, you know, this summer will be 14 years of doing something. I've, I've done very few things in my life for more than a decade consistently. I've been a father. I've been a husband. I've been a host of a podcast and I've been a human being. I, I think it's a pretty short list and I, I don't know that there's anything else that goes on that list. I never held a job for 10 years straight. I don't think I ever held a job for five. So I would get bored and want to go do something else until I found this. It's, it's an amazing change, honestly, over the years. And yet by doing it, I didn't have to do what so many other people did, which is stop being who they really were and give that up. And, and I'm, I'm grateful to all of you for it. You know, the early years were pretty insane. When I started that show in 2008, I was like, okay, I want to get this off the ground quick. So I, I made a deal with the audience, which was like about 10 people at the time when I, when I came up with this idea. I said, if we hit a thousand listeners by the end of the year, I'll give away an iPod, an iPod Nano. That's how old that is with being an ant, not a grasshopper on the back of it. And at the time, man, a podcast with a thousand listeners, that was a big deal. And we didn't hit a thousand listeners at the end of the year. We hit over 2,000. I think it was like 2,250 podcasts that we, uh, uh, subscribers, uh, at, by the end of the year. And that was almost 100% on iTunes because that was it. And, uh, it was pretty amazing. And then that whole time was the 18 months of the crazy commute cast. Some of you guys, and this is like so humbling to me that there's people right now in this live stream that I've already seen your name and what have you. And like, I'm like that person was communicating with me in email or on social media or something like that when I was still in my car doing podcasts. And they're still here with me 14 years later. I, I, I think that's something, uh, that's something pretty damn special. And, and, and to all of you that, that fit that, thank you so much. But yeah, 18 months. And if you've never heard one of those shows, it might be fun to go back and anything in 2008 or 2009 would be one of those shows with one or two exceptions of some shows that got done out of my home office. But 99% of them were done on the road in my car, flying in and out of traffic in Dallas-Fort Worth, morning freaking rush hour nightmare traffic. And there's ones where you hear me cussing a person out who cut me off. There's one There's one where I had to... uh I had to edit it down a little bit because people said they, they were driving and listening and they thought they were about to get T-boned because I almost got T-boned where a guy lit the brakes up behind me. And I have somewhere, if, if I remember when I'm done with this, I'll add, I have an audio segment. It's only about 10 seconds where you hear me go, oh, fuck. And then you hear smash right next to me. The guy went into the, uh, the, the, the shoulder, but he still hit somebody else that went into the shoulder. There was nowhere for me to go. And I thought I had to sit there and take it. I mean, it was a crazy 18 months. But, man, it worked out. And in only 18 months, I was able to go full-time. And I've never looked back. 
The truth, though, is when I started with this, and I, I want to be you know honest about the good and the bad today over the years, I was in terrible physical shape. I mean, I could I could go out on a hiking trail and walk people in the ground. I was still fat, you know. And over the years, I had times where I lost so much weight that I would go do an appearance and I would walk up to one of the hosts or one of the staff members who knew me from online and from pictures and go, hi, I'm Jack Spierko. I'm here for uh, to speak or I need my booth or whatever. And they would look at me and go, no, you're not. And I go, what do you mean? No, I'm not. You know, there was one I remember in particular. It was I think it was in Colorado. And I went to see this girl and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm Jack Spierko and I'm here. I need my booth. I need you know my packet and all that. And she's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, what do you? What do you mean? No, I'm not. And she just kept insisting, you can't be Jack Spirico. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to do with that. Here's my ID. And she's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was you over there. And she pointed at this big fat guy, you know, and I'm like, Oh yeah, I lost some weight, you know? And then six months, eight months later, I would have all that weight back on. And I did that several times. And it wasn't until about three years ago when I decided to get on the train with keto. And there was a point in my life I'd come to with some lab results and all like, I need to do this for real. Or I'm going to kill myself young. And that three years has completely radically transformed my life. And that was a that was a big, big thing for me because it did something for you, too. And that's one of the things, if you ever decide that you want a life like I have, you want to build like this public personality life, that's one of the real blessings you get is that when you do do the right things for yourself and people see it in you, they emulate it and they do it, too. And when you get emails from people with pictures in them of saying, this was me at 280 pounds and this is me at 190 pounds, it, it makes everything you're doing worth doing. So for all of those that took that journey with me, thank you. And, and, and I'm sure I'll mention him later, but Ken Berry was a huge part in that. Um, I always knew that carbs were bad. But if you don't do it kind of the keto way with enough fat to satiate the appetite, you always tend to fall back off. And I did. And so it wasn't easy teaching people all of these things about self-sufficiency and self-reliance and not being in the best shape and, and knowing that people would see me. And, and, and I never hit it though, right? Like I, you know, there's, there's, there's videos of me where I look really good and videos of me like, oh, who's that fat dude? Right. Um, I wasn't going to hide it, but I also wasn't going to wait until I got everything right before I became an example. I became an example in the things that I was good at and that I was doing right. Because we only get one shot at this ride, guys. We only get to live this one time, this one way. And waiting until I figured that out would have been a waste of, you know, 11 of the last 14 years. And it, it would have been a huge mistake. So I encourage you, even if you don't have every duck lined up or whatever, If you have something you want to do, go for it, please. And the hell with lining the ducks up, because as a duck farmer, I can tell you when you do get them all in a row, one of those bastards cuts off anyway. Get on it, man. You you, you get this one ride. Take it. Make it happen. Um, some of the things along the way that were really cool was like The Revolution is You, which is the song that you hear at the beginning of every episode. If you listen to the audio show, the little snippet of it, and I played it the full length for quite a while. I, I recently kind of got re-exposed to that, and uh, I did an interview with Foster Gamble this Saturday. Foster's the gentleman that produces uh, the, 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 the two movies, Thrive and Thrive 2, an amazing man. And it was a pretty big honor that Foster played that video from The, Re from the Revolution Is You 
um, which was just in my second year that we put that out. And pictures of so many audience members, even by then, had changed their lives and done so many things. And to watch people that were in his, you know, special group that we were presenting to, just asking in the comments, where's the link to that video? Where's the link to that video? Where's, because it was real. And, and, you know, I told Foster, you can use it, but you have to remind people when you do that I don't, I'm not that fat anymore. <laughs> and I think he forgot to do it. Um, but man, just like looking back at that and seeing myself, you know, that's, uh, that's 12 years ago and realizing that's how much we had already done was, it was pretty cool. And big time, uh, was a, was definitely a seminal moment. I also want to acknowledge some failures and there's a lot of them. I'm going to talk about three and they're the three biggest ones. There are three that hurt me the most. And many of you were here for them. were part of them. The failures happened and you're still here. And my God, am I grateful for that? Um, perma ethos was a mixed thing. You know, on one hand, we proved what could be done with crowdfunding before anybody really believed it. Um, we had well over a thousand people get their permaculture design certification. Uh, and we were able to do that $300 a student. And, and I believe the people that, that bought in, that went ahead and completed the training, they got a great PDC. On the other hand, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. It didn't work. It did fall apart. It was one of those hard lessons in, taking on partnerships and, and having things go on that you can't touch on a daily basis. It never became what I really wanted it to. And even when we did it, I don't think it ever was going to be what I really first envisioned for Perma Ethos for those that were, uh, uh, you know, around back then. I wanted to build a community where people could live their own way on their own terms, the classic plan community. I don't know if I'll ever take a run at it directly again, but someday I want to. Someday I want to take a run, maybe not the exact same way, the exact same type of thing. And, um, but I think there's, there's, there's still something there. And if you were here for that and, and you were involved and you were a founder and, and, you know, you did get what we promised, but we didn't give you what we expected to be able to do. You know, I'm sorry for that. It was a hard lesson. The, the one that hurt me the most along the way was Mulligan Mint. Mulligan Mint was a mint that made silver, and lots of people ordered silver, and lots of people got their silver, and the last people that ordered silver did not. I made a deal um, with Rob, who man, man, ran the mint, and I was paid in silver for selling silver. And by the time that fell apart, uh, it was beginning to fall apart, I guess. And there was a third party that attacked it, but I'm not going to use that as an excuse. It is what it is. It failed. Um I had about $20,000 due to me in silver when I, when I knew things were getting really, really bad. And Rob said, you know, I, I think we're going to go in a receivership. And once that happens, I won't be able to do anything to help you. And he offered to bring me $20,000 worth of silver physically and put it into my hands before that happened. And I said, whatever amount of time you have before you go into receivership and other people make decisions for you, Take my $20,000 worth of silver and fill my orders with it. First come, first serve as quick as you can. It was what I could do, but it hurt. And I, I probably lost several thousand people uh, when that fell apart. And it taught me a valuable lesson. And again, it was don't, don't get into partnerships where you don't have control. Um, and there's been some other ones. Crypto Gulch, you know, for most people, it did work out. For a few people, it didn't. And that was just a, you know, starting a crypto mining co-location business, basically, in the middle of the 2017, 2018 boom. 
and the other side of that cycle kicked in before it was fully established. Um, there's, there's been some failures. But what I love is that there are people that were part of even the failures that are still proud that they were part of those failures. Uh, Danielle right now is saying she still has her coin from Perma Ethos. I have a bunch of them. Uh, and I have people ask me for them and I still hand them out. And I, I think that the spirit of Perma Ethos lives on. And w- where we go the next time we try that, I don't know, but I know that it, if it's going to be a farm or a community, it won't be somewhere that I can't within a few hours put my feet on. And so for my failures, learn as much as you do for my successes, please. And then understand that everything that you do comes with a risk. Those were risks, and I was willing to take those risks. And I tried to mitigate how much risk anybody else would take along with me in them. And so there were some things that were offered during those where people offered significant financial contributions to certain things. And I said, no, just do it the way everybody else is, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to check for $10,000. There's, and there's, there's examples where I turned down more than that because I was not comfortable with people taking that much co-risk with me. And I advise you to do that as well so that when you fail, people know that you failed because you tried and you failed, not because you screwed them over. And, and I've always been okay with anybody saying Jack fucked up or Jack was wrong or, you know, Jack got it, you know, messed it up or whatever. I've never been okay with somebody saying Jack lied to me or Jack deceived me. And I always tried to never do that. And I think that that is a big reason that we're still here because there's a lot of reasons I could get, I could add more to that list. That's a painful enough list. Those are my three biggest pain points along the way. And I thought that it would be disingenuous to do today's show and, and not acknowledge them. I, and when they fell apart, I didn't just stop talking about them. I explained what I could. And, and, and then when I went on, uh, I went on. But I never tried to hide from any of those. And I, I really hope that those of you who were not involved in, you know, some of you were involved and it worked out. Some of you were all involved in it. Maybe it didn't. But many of you saw it happen and you weren't directly involved. So it really was not here or there for you personally. But I hope you learned from that experience a little bit about what happens when you take risks and uh, how to be careful and cautious and then how to handle it as gracefully as you can when it doesn't work out. But there were some huge successes. Some would seem little and some would seem big, depending on how you looked at it. But to me, there were some like major successes. One was, does anybody here in the live stream remember a lady named Jan Klein? And uh, many of you probably will not remember Jan Klein. But when I tell you who she was, if you've been around a long time, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Jan Klein was a lady that lived in Salem, Oregon, who was dying of bone cancer. And uh, she was doing some yard sales. Not because she was trying to save up for a, um, uh, like an operation or, or something that would save her life. Like she was past that point. Like she was going to die and she was starting to liquidate what she had and earn a little bit of money so she could see to some things that would allow her to die a little bit more comfortably. Uh, I think some of that was physical, but a lot of that was emotional, knowing that I could do these certain things so that this is all taken care of before I'm gone and other people won't have to. And, and the city of Salem, Oregon, came in and shut her down and attacked a person at their weakest. You know what we did? We burned down their phone lines. We we hit them so hard that they basically, in the end, got out of the way. And then we raised so much money, it didn't matter. That that was a victory. If you look back at our at our 3,000 episodes, it, it doesn't seem like that. It didn't give us anything, but that was why it was so big. Um. Being called a jerk, that might be one of the, the, the biggest blessings that's ever come from TSP. For those that don't know, 
about the jerk thing. When I, when I got started, I would say things like get out of debt and you'll never email me and say, Jack, you're such a jerk. I got out of debt and now I have all this stupid money and I don't know what to do with it. And then people started to do it as a joke. People actually said, you are a jerk. I do have all this money now and I don't know what to do with it. Can you tell me how to invest it or something like that? And it started happening in so many different ways. You're such a jerk because of you. You kept saying I can build a side hustle into a business and now I did it. Now I have to quit my job. You jerk. Like being called a jerk. In fact, one of the landmark episodes I'll mention, uh, next was all about being called a jerk. The two, like the, the, the two episodes I listened to when I wonder, am I really doing something the way that I should be? Our episodes 1000 and 2500, um, 1000 went for something like three and a half hours and 2500 went for something like five. And I think I limited people to a minute or two and people called in and said how their lives had changed because of our community and the work that we've all done together and just person. That was just person after person after person after person after person. And those were wins because those are my payday episodes. Like making money is what I do so I can provide for my family and have a life just like everybody else. Like getting emails and phone calls and call outs like that about this is my life better because of TSP. That's the payday. Those two episodes were huge. Who remembers the MT Knives program? The founders program with them, stakeholders program with MT Knives. Selling $60,000 worth of knives to help a guy build his dream in six minutes. Crashing his server because he had weak sauce server. And, and we had to go direct to, uh, to his PayPal account to make payments. That was pretty freaking epic. And, and, and watching some of the beautiful creations that have came, come out of MT Knives since then. Just gorgeous knives. And watching Patrick go from being a good knife maker to being a master in his craft. Um, the knives that Patrick builds today are just absolutely unbelievable. And uh, he actually made me a freaking knife snob. Like people hand me knives now. What do you think of this knife I made? And I don't even want to say it because I, there's little bitty tiny things in there that I'm like, if you want me to really tell you, I will. Like, did you make this knife? No, I bought it. Okay, now I'll do it. Like, Patrick got me to work. I pick a knife up and look at the edge and know if it was sharp or not without touching it. Um, that was pretty epic to, uh, to, to build that, uh, relationship out and, and, and make that happen. CAC teams, which, uh, which is, is, is responded to quite a few different disasters now. That was a, a vision of mine. It took a couple of years to actually become what it became, but it all started with Superstorm, uh, Sandy. And feeling trapped and, and, and like, I want to do something, but I can't. There's nothing I can do. And listening to Nicole's uh, show today, I listened to her live stream for a bit. And she was talking about the storms that just happened in, in Tennessee and Kentucky and wanting to help, but knowing I can't go in immediately because we'll just be in the way. That was exactly how I felt watching a much bigger disaster in Sandy. And, and that turned into CAC teams. Um, in the permaculture world, like being featured on the permaculture news website without even asking, like, um, it was, uh, it was, it was amazing. Like the first time, so it's like, Hey, do you know you were on permaculture news website? I'm like, what? It was like some little article I wrote somewhere or something. They picked it up and they ran it. They started running some occasionally I'd run a like a video of mine or a show. Uh, and going from being no one in permaculture to, to, to standing on a stage with, you know, people like Jeff Lawton, uh, Joel Salatin, Alan Savory, um, speaking at permaculture voices. 
all of that w- was was absolutely amazing. You know, meeting Toby Hemingway and forming a friendship with somebody like that uh, after I spit wine all over him. I won't go through that story again today. But when I met when I met um, Toby, the very first second that I met him, I spit Chardonnay in his face. It wasn't intentional. I'll just I'll leave it at that. Uh, but then you know the next the next year at the same conference, having breakfast with him every single day. Uh, and getting to have that relationship built and develop that friendship before he unfortunately passed away too young. Like the whole world of permaculture was a whole subset of these amazing experiences that, that came on. And Nicole says CAC is responding to the tornadoes. So that's, that's having these, these things become legacy that I'm not even directly involved in anymore. And, and man, I want that for so many of y'all to build legacy. Uh, being featured on Glenn Beck's show and the, and Judge Napolitano's show. And those were in two totally different ways. One was like a manifestation. And the other one was like, just you guys did it. Like Judge Napolitano was doing Freedom Watch and they had this some sort of social media clone that they built. And they're like, who do you want to see on Freedom Watch with a judge? And I'm like, okay, well, me, I want to see me. So I put it up there and I let people know. And then we just like T-bone the hell out of it. So it like just kept pinging it like a cannoneer with a 22 at the top of their list until they broke and said, fine, we'll get the guy on the show. Uh, and then traveling there with my family, that was pretty badass. So y'all did that. Glenn Beck was totally different. When, when I real like when I told my wife what I was doing, she's like, you're doing all this extra work. What are you? I'm like building this podcast. And she's like, why am I going to quit my job? She's like, what? And then so I explained the whole thing to her and my wife being who she is just said, okay. And I said to her, she said, this seems like it's going pretty well after a while. I said, yeah, I'm going to be on Glenn Beck's show. She's like, when? I'm like, I don't know, next couple of years. And my wife being who she is said, okay, like anything I ever gave her is a vision or a dream. She always just said, yeah, if you say you'll do it. And then one day we just get a call. Hey, I'm from the Glenn Beck show. Would you like to be on Glenn Beck? And it was, uh, those were two big time things. And getting to meet Glenn and tell him, you know, I didn't, I didn't kick him or anything and go like, hey, you know, it's not like you're my idol or anything, but, you know, but being able to tell Glenn Beck, hey, that little story I told you in the beginning about how him talking just a little bit about preparedness uh, created in me that 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 idea to build TSP. And uh, Glenn's a good dude, man. I mean, I don't certainly don't agree with everything he says. I hope you guys don't agree with everything I say. That means we're just, you know, you're just parroting what you hear. Um, but when I told him I had built a six-figure income, partially inspired by his work, he had a huge grin. You could tell like it was not fake. He was done with the show. He was ready to leave. He's wiping makeup off his face and shit. And like he just wanted to go. But when I told him that, he just stopped and he talked to me for a few minutes. And uh, having a guy like that tell you you're very good at what you do um, that early in my career, that was that was a pretty big day. It really was. Um, one of my friends I'll mention later brought me a really nice bottle of scotch that day. Uh, Doc Chronicles was a pretty big win. Uh, the YouTube series that brought so many people into permaculture and preparedness and homesteading that that wasn't their intention. It was the sneakiest thing I ever did. It was like, Hey, check out the baby duck. Look how cute it, cute it is. Now let's learn about the hydrology of swales. Like it was like this, it, this gateway for people, uh, into permaculture. And you know, I, I do use adult words if you want to put it that way, but like duck chronicles is my like, rated G purity thing. Like so that people could share with their kids. So many people told me their kids loved it. That was uh, that was huge. People are asking me if I can have a drink and skip keto to celebrate this. Maybe Friday, guys. Maybe Friday, not during the week. Um, next, uh, winning podcast of the year, twice might I add, and one year. Do you know 
what show was in the category that I won for in the podcast awards? No Agenda with Adam Curry. We beat Adam Curry. I believe it was in 2011 or 2012. We beat No Agenda. That was a that was a pretty epic thing. In fact, when I didn't know really who Adam was at the time, and so I said, I'm in this podcast awards thing. You guys can vote on it and 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 whatever. And like I said, I'm like I don't want to. I was named all the shows in the general category, and I'm like I don't want to lose to a show called No Agenda. They don't even have a purpose or a point. Somebody wrote in and told me what it was a really awesome show, what it was really all about. And when I found out what, I'm like, ah, oh, we're screwed. We're not going to win. And they gave the award sometime around Christmas, and my family was over. And we had the streaming on the TV set, but with the volume off. And I remember who it was. One of my families were like, you won. I'm like, what? You won. That was, that was freaking epic being able to do that. And again, you guys did that. You guys are the ones that made that happen because it was about audience participation. Um, our 10 year celebration party, those of you that made that, that was awesome. Sadly, COVID killed, um, Killed the restaurant we had at, had that, uh, party at. We're going to have a 15 year party. We're going to have a 15 year party next year. Say the following year, right? Cause we're only 14 this summer. We're, we have a place all picked out. Uh, very cool venue. We're going to have a band and things like that. There'll be a 15 year party. Uh, 10 year celebration was one of those things where people show up and then you're humbled all over again. There were the people that you knew would show up. Tons of people who are kind of local or regional showed up. But when you have like two guys like walk up and go, Hey man, I'm glad we could be here for this. And it's like a two and a half, three hour party. And like, like, where'd you come in from? And they're like, Chicago. Like you drove from Chicago to Fort Worth for a three hour party. They're like, yeah, man. I mean, good Lord. And then to hear people talk about the impact that made it all worth doing. I know this is sound like the longest awards reception thing and there's no award even, but. I, I got to say this stuff, guys. I want you guys to know how much I appreciate all of you. Uh, embracing and talking about crypto is one of the smartest decisions I ever made. I thought it was the dumbest thing I ever heard. And by 2013, I'm like, I think this is going to be a thing. And by 2014, I'm like, you really need to be involved with this. The number of people in this audience have told me that their financial life is so much better because of that is huge in itself. And I know I talk about it a lot, but I'll never stop. I'll never stop because it's not going to stop either. Unloose the goose. You know, it, I don't think it turned into what I expected. Um, trying to bring all big name people in at the beginning. Maybe that wasn't quite the best way to go, but the amazing people that are still part of it. And I don't know where, you know, what will unloose the goose be? Will there ever be a 3000th episode? I think doing one show a week. No. Um, will it be here in 10 years? I don't know. I, I don't know, but I think that. My life has been so enriched by that group as it's grown and changed and morphed and the connections it's led to. And I think that's done a lot to bring different communities together. That's been a big win. Um, the sub communities over the years are some of the ones that are like the most inspirational to me. Like the, uh, the, the, the Zello group, which Zello's kind of come and gone as a thing. It's just not used as much anymore, but we had like the, Largest at one time, the largest active group on Zello. The people from Zello reached out to our group and said, "How do we make Zello bigger or better?" Like had private consultations with our group, and all I did was set it up, get it going, and get the hell out of the way and let people use it. Um, today, you know, like the Discord and Telegram groups, those are huge. And then the like little communities and sub communities in Discord and, and, and Telegram that have been founded. The original Survival Podcast forum forums have kind of had their day and gone. We have better ways to 
organize and communicate now, but that was great. Um, the Regen Ag Group uh, on on Facebook, which I don't use Facebook anymore, but that took on a life of its own. There's so many people who have reached out and extended beyond any reach that I would have ever had. And I would say if you want to build something like this in your life, if you want to build a podcast, you want to build some sort of media presence or something like that, then the biggest lesson from there is you have to know when to let go of something. Like you can't have viral and control. You can have viral or you can have control. And it, it, it takes some humility to back away from a thing and say, I put this in motion. I gave it a start. Now let it, let it be what it's going to be. And some of the stuff you do will just not go anywhere, but some will be, it'll surprise you at what happens because of it. Um, the move to Arkansas was a big win and the coming home was even bigger. It, it really was. When, when I decided I wanted to move up to Arkansas, my wife and I decided that made financial sense for us. I had, some of you guys were just literally cheering for us. I mean, this was before I even walked away from my job. It's before TSP was full time. We had decided this is kind of what we wanted to do. We wanted to make it that. And having like your own group of cheerleaders, like rooting for you in life and then finally being able to do it. And in the two years we had up there were amazing. We had some ex- incredible shows, some incredible content, some incredible lessons. And then coming to the realization with, with, uh, Dorothy's father declining in health and my son, you know, progressing in his life and wanting to be a part of it, we came back here. And there were actually a few people that were not real happy about that. Um, they weren't real happy about it at all. They were like, but, you know, we had so much vested in this, and it's like we're going to do another chapter. And coming here and finding this three-acre property, TSP workshops would not be a thing if we didn't come home. Everything that we did led us to where we are, and and where we are is amazing because TSP workshops might be the the single best thing I've ever done. Those of you who have never been, you're going to want to get here at some point. You're going to want to do whatever it takes. You're going to want to get here at some point. Greg's here. Greg, we, we talked about Revolution is you already, but we'll be talking about you again, bro. Um, yeah, the workshops have transformed lives. Transformed lives. There's never a workshop where there's not people that get on the microphone and talk to the audience and don't, don't shed some tears. It doesn't happen. Because it's, it's that transformational. It's, it is the single best thing I ever did. And it all started out with a workshop that I said, we're going to screw it all up. We're going to get it wrong, but we're going to try to do better than all the other workshops that I went to. And I'll still consider that it's a screw up. And, uh, you know what? <laughs> it, uh, it wasn't, it was pretty good, but it wasn't good enough. And we just made it better and better and better every year. And, and now once a year, you know, this place is full of 80 to 90 TSPers and it's probably like creates its own gravitational, gravitational force of get shit done and cool factor. Like where we literally are like causing people to like, like try to come in the gate just to see what's going on. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And if we had not changed our path, if we had said we're not going to go back because we came here and because this is what we wanted, if we had not listened to the circumstances of our lives, we would have never done that. So that's a lesson, too. There's some shows I'm really proud of. I'm going to go real fast through these. But um, at the same time, I want to know what what is your favorite episode of TSP of all time or your favorite series or, or what have you if you're on the live feed. But um, getting your spouse on board, that was that was when it got – it was like episode 69. It was very early. It was still summer of 08. And I got so many people that were like, you know what I did, man? I did exactly what you said. I shut up. 
And I asked my spouse, mostly it was men saying women, to listen to this. And I said, if, if they would listen, and I, did, I would never say another word until they wanted to talk about it. And then I, I, I swore to them that, that I was being honest. And then they said, okay, if you'll shut up, I'll listen to it. And now they're like, we need to do this and this and this. Like that was, that was so epic to be able to do that. That was, that was awesome. Um, the documentation show. That's when I knew I really was onto something. Um, I was at one of my first events I ever spoke at and a master gunnery sergeant from the Marine Corps. If you know those guys, they're not exactly soft type people. Um, you know, he had, he had Marines that were there that were acting like they were still, like they were on post under his command that they, they had just met him. Like that's just kind of the air this guy, uh, carried around him. And I had just done that show and he walked up to me. He said that he said, you missed nothing. You missed not a thing in that. He said, that's going to, that alone is going to save people's lives. That was, that was a pretty big deal. And I, I don't know that I really thought I did that great of a job with that show until, until I had that moment with that gentleman. Uh, raising resilient children in a world full of wusses. That one got so much feedback. That one got picked up and run by the permaculture news blog out of Australia. And it actually caused a bunch of purple breathers to flip out and, and start losing their minds and get all triggered because he used the word wusses inferring that women are weak. And it's like, well, you didn't listen to that. Uh, but I had so many people reaching out and saying, you know what? We're, we're raising kids that way. And, and, and thank you for telling us that we're on the right track. That was a big deal. Um, the two holiday shows, somebody already mentioned the Thanksgiving show, the Thanksgiving show and the Christmas show that I did the first year. I did both of those the, the, the first year. And those I'm both proud of because they required a lot of in-depth research. And both of them were done with nothing but bullet points. And if you go back and listen to the detail, the dates, all of that stuff, I had to commit all of that stuff to memory to be able to do them that way. I didn't want them to sound like I was reading. I was still relatively new to podcasting, and uh, I, I knew I still was was kind of dealing with something that it took me a while to get really good at, which is being able to present without having people to present to. Like I had, I had spoke my whole life in front of rooms of people, you know, a small, a small group I would have spoken if I would have been like 50. I'd spoken in groups of, you know, a couple thousand people or more at like trade shows and keynote addresses and stuff like that. And it's, it's a bit of, to be honest, if, if you want a career in public speaking, I'll tell you, it's a bit addictive. You, you, when you're good at it and you get energy from the audience, it's, it's like a drug. But the other thing you get from the audience is you know when you're bombing. You know when you're doing good, you know when you're doing bad, you know, you, you can tell, you see people start taking their glasses off, that's not a good sign, you know, or they start doing this, like, you know, to change your cadence or tell a joke or something. So I didn't want what was already kind of a green skill to be worse when I did those two episodes. I knew they'd be cool. So I wanted everything where I could be conversational. I had to with the Thanksgiving show because I did it in the car. So you can't be reading a script and driving in the car. The Christmas one got even into greater detail. And part of what I love about the Christmas episode, and I think a lot of people probably don't know this, it was the first episode I did that wasn't in my car. It was another year before I went full-time and got out of the car. But it was the first episode I ever did that was not in my car. And that one, I think more than the Thanksgiving one, has become a tradition for a lot of people. They listen to it with their family. And it's 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 not long. It's about 20 minutes. I encourage you to... Uh, um, to consider listening to it. Daniel's asking about how I would save America. That's coming up in a, in a different way. Um, how about the, the zombie Halloween show? Has anybody heard the zombie Halloween show? I think it was back in 11, 2011, I think we did. It was like a, 
if, if you remember the old horror movies that really sucked, but you watched them anyway, like they called them B movies or whatever, this was like an E podcast. It was that bad. But we had different people send in all these segments with just a concept. And then I had to figure out how to put them together and link them together and create bridges. And we even had Alex Jones get killed by a zombie in, in the zombie apocalypse show. And that was, that was fun. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty damn amazing. Uh, somebody says they still get chills when they listen to Martina McBride sing, uh, acapella, uh, Oh Holy Night. Yeah. That, that was, uh, that was part of how that whole show came together. Uh, that was awesome. But yeah, the, the zombie Halloween show, uh, an episode I did. About half, yeah, five years ago, four years ago now, from P- Pond Personal Sovereignty. That was, uh, that was pretty epic. I have links to all these in the, in the audio notes as well, by the way. Uh, join the Quiet Insurrection. If you saw the, uh, thumbnail for today's video, uh, the Quiet Insurrection, I think is something that so many of us are engaged in now. And I'm so glad, you know, if you look at Join the Quiet Insurrection and all of the things that went in the Insurrection series, they're, the, the first episodes of those are five, six years old now. And, and COVID became a vindication for that philosophy because it's all that's worked is the quiet insurrection. Going out in the streets hasn't worked. Direct confrontation hasn't worked. Voting hasn't worked. The quiet insurrection. Living your life your way and fuck them if they don't like it. That's what's working. That's what's working. We don't have to talk about it. We just have to do it. And, and so many of you are doing that. So I love that episode. And then this will be one that people will be like, I don't, why? Episode 348, listener feedback, January 4th, 2010. What's so great about that show? It was the first show I did after I quit my old life. It was the first full-time episode. It was just a listener feedback show. There's some good stuff in it and what have you, but it was the first one. I'll never forget 348. 348 was the day that I stepped out on my own and I never looked back. And for a podcaster, you know, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. There's not many people who have done it. There's there, there's really not. There's not that many people who have taken a podcast and built it from absolute zero to a self-sustaining income and then had that sustain, especially people who have done it that weren't already some sort of media personality. Um, one person I would like to recognize right now who's done that is Pete Quinones, uh, with, with free man beyond the wall. Pete's been able to do that. And that is inspiring. That's, he's one of the few people I know that, that I'm, I'm sure there's others. I don't listen to a ton of podcast guys. I, I really don't. I focus on my thing. Um, but I, I've not seen many people start from nothing. I've seen people that are well known media personalities do it, but starting from zero is hard, but it's doable. And if you want it, you can have it too. That's, that's kind of my favorite thing. I'm going to go real quick through a list of people. And again, this is where if I just like named names, we'd be going for hours here. And, and so if your name's not on the list, I'm sorry, but a lot of these names are going to be the people, like I said, that you don't, you don't know, or maybe you'll be like, Oh, that person. And they remember hearing, I don't have them on the list, but John from West Virginia, guys, we got a John from West Virginia got killed in the zombie show too, by the way. Anyway, uh, Josiah Wallingford. Anybody remember Josiah? Josiah was my intern for about nine months. He was part of Perma Ethos. He was the instructor uh, for the videos for the, the PDC and Perma Ethos. Uh, but he was a good friend. And I, we don't talk hardly at all anymore. I haven't seen him forever. I know he's working with Paul Wheaton now. Um, but he was a big part of the community for a long time. Um, next up, 
Well, first, I skipped over the most important one, my wife. Um, I mentioned her already, but she deserves being mentioned again during this list. My wife supported everything I've ever done. Um, my wife has enabled all the things that we've done. And one of my happiest days in doing this was I walked away from my job in 2010. And when she was able to quit her job in 2011, that was like I felt I gave her a gift that she got to retire about 25 years earlier than she would have otherwise. And uh, that's that's a pretty cool gift. But I think she's going to be back a thousand times more in enabling me to do this and tolerating all my shit over the years. Uh, the life of a podcaster like this is pretty crazy. Uh, Greg Yos, who wrote The Revolution Is You. Um, many of you know the song. Many of you probably don't know really who Greg is. And that's probably because I don't talk about him as much as I should, but he's still around. He was here with us today in the uh, chat. I don't know if he's still here, but Greg wrote The Revolution Is You. He also wrote uh, quite a few other songs like 50 Cal and Five Gallon Bucket. And uh, we co-wrote a song called What Have You Done to My Country? And if you've never heard that song, you, you, you probably should uh, look it up. Um, Ron Hood. Ron uh, passed away. While I was in Arkansas, he was a, a brother that I unfortunately only got to know for a couple of years. I mean, he literally was like a brother to me. I met him uh, at dirt time in 2009 or 2010. It was one or one year or the other. I'm not really sure. And uh, I met him toward the end of it because I didn't want to bother him. He was probably the biggest name in the space of like survivalists and pre preparedness and stuff like that at the time. And I didn't want to be like another person to try to take from him because he was a guy a lot of people did try to take from. And when I, when somebody introduced us, we, we talked for a bit and I said, I'd love to have you on my show and know if there's anything I can do for you. And I think it was one of the first times that somebody really at that point in his life that somebody really said, what can I do for you instead of what can you do for me? And it, it, it founded a very close friendship and we only got to meet in person a couple other times after that, but we talked at least weekly by phone and, and, and Skype and email and text and stuff like that, uh, weekly after that. And I, rem I there was a thing that I won't go into today, but I had to make a choice to stand with Ron or uh, or do what was best for me. I stood with Ron. And it was a hard it was a hard time to do that. It was it was very early in what I was doing. And I thought it might really hurt me. But you either stand with people that deserve you to stand with them or you're not worth standing with yourself. So I stood with my friend. And I remember when he passed away, I called his widow, Karen, and uh he had really passed away the day before, so it's been a day. And I, I waited till later in the day to call her because I didn't want to call her early in the morning. I knew probably other people would be reaching out. On my way home from my office in Arkansas, I pulled over and I talked to her for a few minutes. It was uh, it was a moment where I knew I made the right call those years before. She said, he loved you, Jack. That was uh, the first words out of her mouth. She just lost her husband. Yeah, always stand. Always stand. Never kneel. Never give in. If you want people to stand up for you, even when it's hard. Keep your word. It's one of my laws of life. There's a reason. Um, John Willis. You guys hear me talk about him from time to time. I'm wearing a shirt today. I wear shirts every day. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know. John was very good to me when I started out. When I had those couple 300 listeners, he was making his workers listen to it at when they were sewing and putting together the gear. He sent me tons of gear. He told everybody he knew about me. He he put me in touch with with big-name people in the industry he never asked for anything and I've tried to buy things from him and he sends my money back and sends me more than I ordered. I uh, had a really cool riggers belt from him that he made me when I was fat. And about a year and a half ago, I reached out to John and I said, Hey, I, I need to have this belt redone. It's kind of a point of pride. 
Like instead of getting a new one, I want to send it back to you and have you cut about six inches off of it and send it back to me and redo it. He said, I'll just send you a new one. So keep the old one so you don't forget. He's an awesome guy. He's an awesome guy. I think he was on with Nicole recently. Man, if, if you want gear that'll last, you know, long enough that your great grandkids will have it, you want his gear. And he's always been good to me. Uh, Deanie Brock, Dean Brock, uh, haven't heard from her for years, but she was a big time supporter of TSP and she made the video, uh, that won the contest for if I wanted to save America. There was an episode I did. Somebody had put out a video called if I wanted America to fail. And it was all of the things that were wrong and going wrong. And I put out a video or just, it wasn't a video at first. I I was just doing a podcast and somebody had sent that to me that day and it just hit me wrong. There wasn't a solution in it. And I I just kind of with no script, no planning launched into this is what I would do if I wanted to save America. And it really hit with some people and several people made videos, but hers won the day. Hal Dodd is a guy that you guys may have heard a name or two, you know, the name dropped from time to time, but he was one of my best friends. He was a fishing guy that I met on Joe Pool Lake. And there's a show dedicated to him about life lessons after he passed away. Uh, he passed away at 41, far too young, um, amazing man. And he did a lot to help me uh, with advice and discussion and encouragement behind the scene. Um, Diego Footer. Many of you know who Diego is. Many of you probably don't. Diego Footer is the guy that built Permaculture Voices and did three amazing years of permaculture conferences and had me speak at every single one of them. I think I and one other person was the only person that spoke at all three. And I was uh, given the honor of keynoting at the final event, uh, final speaker at the final event. And thank you to Diego for that. James Talmadge Stevens. Who's that? He's an author. Um, he goes all the way back to the 1970s in the preparedness and survivalist space. He had built up a huge reputation uh, during Y2K and he was coming out with like the eighth edition of the, the book that he had at the time. And he was really good to me. And I sold a lot of books for him, but he was really good to me. And we did a lot of conventions together. He always introduced me to people. And that's an example of a name that most of y'all would no, have no idea. And I'm, I'm pretty sure based on his age, there's a good chance he may not be with us at any, at, anymore. Uh, Stephen Bill. Stephen Bill. It sounds like a movie, right? Stephen Bill, right? Stephen Bill. I'm not using last names here because I don't know if they want that. Uh, but Stephen Bill were the people that got me out of using, you know, nothing but shared hosting with HostGator, and I really needed it. They were admins on the forum for years, but they were my web guys, man. They were the ones that took care of all my server stuff, uh, and TSP could not have grown without them. And they did that for about a decade. And then they were both like, we're tapping out, man. You know, and, you know, it wasn't like it was all volunteer work or something. When I did work, I would give me a bill and I'd pay them, you know. But there's still like, that's a long time to do something like that. And so uh, Tom, uh, again, I don't know if Tom wants his last name on the air, so I, I, I won't do it. Tom's in the chat here plenty of times. He's on Discord and Telegram. And he's the reason Telegram and Discord all talk to each other. And he's he's taken that mantle on. He's done an amazing job. Uh, picking up the baton and the relay and taking it to a complete other level where uh, TSP has its own tour address. And, uh, you know, we got the, the automation between Discord and, and, and they've developed things in our Discord, like uh, gifts against humanities and, and all kinds of games and stuff like that. It's, it's just badass, those guys. How about Sis Wolf and TW? Anybody remember them? They ran the original survival podcast gift uh, gear shop. 
Uh, they're the ones that made the knives. If you have a Trekker knife, one of there's only like a couple hundred of them in the world that that was them. Uh, they were really good to us. Um, Glenn Tate, who I know his real name, but I won't tell you, who recently went through a really hard battle with COVID, uh, who wrote the uh, 299 Day series and wrote the Survival Podcast into the first book. He was a moderator in our forums. Amazing guy. He's done a lot for us. Uh, here's a name most of you won't know unless you've been to workshops. Steve Larkin. The Quail Master. Um, he, he lived his whole life as an inspiration. The man lived on 25 years of bar- borrowed time, two kidney transplants, had a huge artery in his arm that if he would have nicked it the wrong way, he would have bled to death and refused to wear some sort of armor over it because he wanted to live his life and be able to do his job. Wasn't afraid of COVID, came out to a workshop right in the middle of the pandemic and said, I ain't afraid to die. And uh, I'm so glad he lived his life that way. He never he never hid from COVID. Um, he did pass away of a stroke. He was an older gentleman. He had health problems. I mean, it was it was his time, but the way he lived his life and how much he contributed. And I think he came to a workshop every year except the first year. Not every workshop, but a work a, a workshop every year since the first year and helped so many people. Amazing builder of cages. Uh reached out to anybody that ever needed any help uh anytime. And we had a, a very moving memorial to uh, him at the last workshop and he's going to have a space dedicated on a new thing that's coming to the workshop that I won't talk about today. Ah, Jake freaking Robinson. You guys know Jake's name. Oh, there he is. He just happened to show up. Like it's like Beetlejuice and he appears. Um, we've had to beat Jake up almost physically a few times because he asked so many questions. We've shot him with airsoft guns. Um, but I'll tell you, my favorite thing about Jake, Jake is a lot like me in, in a way, and that is he's loyal to a fault. He's one of the most loyal people I know. So in spite of the fact that he's he's had to be shot, he stayed around even after he got shot, and that's pretty damn badass. I'm grateful Jake's part of our uh, community. I really am. Um, David Sigler, most of y'all do not know David. If you do not come to workshops, you do not know David. If you hear me say my buddy David on, on the air occasionally, that's what I'm talking about. He's not just my best friend today. He's the best friend I ever had. And he's been an incredible uh, part of TSPC. Uh, at the, the workshop, he was presented by me and the rest of the community with a ridiculously cartoonish barrel about, you know, 12-inch long 22 Magnum uh, revolver. Uh, I won't say how I acquired it, but I did. And uh, we called it the half of 44 Magnum Award. And we even had a military ceremony to present it to him where he was declared the TSP mascot uh, by United States Army Master Sergeant in his award ceremony. And uh, David is a big part of a lot of the systems here on my on my property that you all have seen in videos. Uh, he's helped me immensely in, in planning and events and things like that. Uh, John Dowie. Dowie's here. Dowie Farms. Dowie's been an, an inspiration because he built a microgreens farm. Uh, he turned that into a business and then COVID hit and kicked him in the dick. And he started doing everything from selling uh, water barrels to, to having a farmstead, uh, like little store with his greens and all just, and it just been a great, uh, contributor to the community over the years. Uh, Hawkeye Harry, another name, a lot of y'all probably have no idea, man, unless you've been to a workshop, but I just can't see a workshop without Hawkeye in it. The guy is just amazing. Um, coordinating, developing, uh, a database basically that people can share and so that everybody can stay in touch after the event beyond uh, the social media uh, angle. Uh, Brian Black, 
Yeah, if you if you don't recognize the name, if you know that the website itstactical.com, which has become one of the best websites in the tactical space, it's basically become the online online version of an 80s gun magazine. It's incredibly successful. Uh, he's done very well for himself and his family. I met Brian. was only doing the show about a year, and I got an email from a guy that says, I'm doing the same thing you are, but it's different. You want to meet and have a drink? I'm like, uh, oh, no, man. <laughs> it turned into a great friendship, and, and Brian is another one of those people that did a lot to support me early on. Uh, he's the gentleman that bought, brought me a really nice bottle of scotch today that got to be on Glenn Beck's show. Uh, we'd come in out of town, and they're like, we got to see you. This is a big deal. Um, Alex Shrugged. Who remembers Alex Shrugged? Alex is uh, a gentleman that did the entire history segment. We ended up doing from the year 1 AD. We had to go back and restart to get that done all the way up to, uh, I believe it was 2016 when we stopped the year at what happened in that year. Uh, Alex was an incredible person that did a lot to serve the community and refused to take any kind of reward or real acknowledgement for it. Well, you're getting it whether you want or not. How about Michael Adam? Michael Adam, he was on the show once. He was um, one of the, the head guys at Appleseed. And I wanted to bring him up because he's the first person I can remember by name, but the entire Appleseed project, uh, there were Appleseed shoots where they're rack rifles. So you could have gone to an Appleseed shoot. And you didn't have a rifle. They'd give you a rifle to shoot with. They had logos of TSP on the, the rack rifles. Uh, that's how much they did to help uh, support the show. Um, the entire expert council, past and present, I'll, I can't mention them all. I got to get this done and be finished. But I mean, uh, the, the first name out of that that springs to my mind, though, that's done so much for this community and her own community is Nicole Sauce. She's been an integral part of everything we've done for so many years now. I can't remember exactly when she came around because it seems like she was always here. But I know it was actually relatively recent in a 14-year period. It's the the second half, at least. Um, but Nicole is, you know, at my workshops now. She's the mistress of ceremonies, man, and she runs an incredibly tight ship. And she's made my life so much better in so many ways. And she's done nothing but give to this community and, like, get shit done and build her own at the same time. Uh, you know, if there's going to be an MVP player, uh, it would be Nicole. And 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 everybody else, uh, all the expert council members, like I said, past, uh, present, future, you name it. Um, uh, new ones like Amy Dingman that's been helping people and Mike and Sula Priest that she took over for. Uh, Jeff Lawton, having Jeff Lawton on your, on your council, uh, Ben Falk, Nick Ferguson. I mean, you know, just in the permacultural Paul Wheaton, like that group of people alone. Uh, if you think about it, Derek, uh, Bon Pietro, uh, Sean Mills, Dixie Mills, not related, uh, there. Uh, I, I know I'm going to leave some people off, but I gotta, I gotta roll on. But man, everybody that's, that served in that expert council capacity, uh, and it has changed over the years. And, uh, it's just, it's just, and somebody's asking right now, whatever happened to Sister Wolf? Uh, Sister Wolf and TW, I mentioned earlier, John. Um, yeah, they just kind of went on to do their own thing. Like, that's the thing about a community. People don't always stay. Toolman Tim, uh, John's mentioned him. Incredible, uh, servant to the community and then building his own brand. Uh, Darby Simpson. I mean, if you, if you think about anything you can come up with, uh, from a question, uh, J.R. Haley and J.R. real quick. I want to, I want to kind of mention J.R. from a different standpoint than just expert counsel. I mean, um, J.R. 
has been for like the last three years, the guy that shows up here three or four days before the workshop and helps me get everything ready. So I'm not ready to just like pull my hair out because these workshops have grown from, you know, something has 30 people at them to has 90 and it's so much more work now. Uh, Charles Humble Mechanic is an example of someone who's part of this community, he still drops in once in a while. He was part of the expert council, but he built his own thing up so much. He had to go on and, and do other things. Ken Berry. I mean, the, the the idea that you have someone that's on the cover of major magazines on your expert council, uh, Steve Wise for a while, you know, he was our, our law enforcement guy. He's not around anymore, kind of moved on to do other things. Patrick at MT Knives, um, Doc Bones and Nurse Amy. I mean, they're, you know, so I'm saying I'm, I'm looking over here to not forget. There's just so much to say, like Doc and Amy are personal friends. They hang out with us. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, just amazing. John Pugliano. Uh Poog is, is like one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet. He really is. He, he's, he's an incredible resource. He, I met him when he came to, uh, a prepper convention, walked up to me and told me he was going to be a financial liar, but not actually a financial liar. He just knew that's what I said about it. I said, well, get on with it then. He said, I'm going to do it right and I'll come back and talk to you about it when I do. And I said, okay. And, uh, I didn't know this at the time, but he went and listened to me, like just, just out of, you know, earshot for me paid attention to me hanging out with people for like the next 30 minutes and told his wife, I'm ready to leave. She said, you don't want to look at everything else. You know, she said, no, I came to, I came to meet Jack. I wanted to find out if he was actually the guy that he says he was Gary Collins. who's kind of gone off building the simple life and, 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 and doing other things uh, did a great job for us for a number of years. Michael Jordan, um, uh, you know, if I missed anybody, I'm sorry, but uh, somebody's mentioned Steven Sobekayak, never part of the expert council, but yeah, great guest. Uh, just so much that, that, that's gone on. And, uh, man, I mean, if you judge something based on the people that it attracts and you look at our expert council, um, man, and I know that went long, all those names, and I know there's names not on there. And please, Chef Keith Snow, yeah, uh, I guess I, when I scrolled past Chef, it's been great. Did our first, you know, his Thanksgiving uh, episode we did, the first time we did that, we were probably like three or four years into the show. I still get people like, I can cook a turkey now. Because of that one episode, Brian Black, he said that was like, and that I think actually led Brian down the whole world of cooking because Brian's like a foodie now. Um, yeah, so many people. But I wanted to do that just because I wanted to be clear. I didn't do this alone. I didn't do this alone. And it's not just the people that you know the names of. It's not just the active contributors like to show content. There's so many people. This microphone over here that I'm not using right now, so it's okay if I pick it up. You see this microphone? A, a listener gave me this. They said, your microphone is shit. I need to, and it's not actually the one they gave me. I bought another one just like it when there's crapped out after like five years. But somebody sent me a microphone. Like, I don't remember that person's name. There's just so much like that. It's just, I, I couldn't have done it. I want to talk a little bit as we wrap up today about what's next. Well, if I had to pick a, pick a theme song for what's next, it would be by BTO. You ain't seen nothing yet. Um, I can't even tell you what's going to be next. I mean, because... There's so many things that are going to happen. There's things I don't even know yet. I'm about to go into my winter shutdown, and that's where I sit and I brainstorm and figure out, like, what do I come out with the gate out of the gate with next year? And so, yeah, 3001 is next. That's the one step at a time attitude, Roy. Thank, Ray, thanks. But, yeah, um, yeah, 15-year celebration. I mean, I know that's another year and a half out. We're already planning it. That's going to be off the hook. Um, Anarchapulco. 
Uh, I will be speaking at Anarchapulco this year. I really would have loved to have been there in person and, and get the networking opportunities and meet people. But instead, we're going to hang out in my garage. I'm going to do it virtually from here. Uh, we're going to let 20 people come. It's going to be like a workshop, but really intimate. Uh, it's going to be a watch party and discussion group. And if you want to come, stay alert. I'll be talking more about that tomorrow. But speaking at Anarchapulco for an anarchist, that's like being a tech person and speaking at, at freaking TED. Like, not TED Satellite or TEDx or something like that either. Like, the TED Talk. That's what that's like getting. So that's 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 a huge win. And I know that there's people in this audience that hear why it happened. Because I know how it happened. But I don't know what made the first thing happen. But I know it was somebody out there that talked to somebody that made somebody call me and then say, hey, can you do this thing? And that thing led to this thing and, and what have you. So, again, I, I've done none of this alone. Um I'm going to be building these live streams up like now that I have this tool in StreamYard and I've I've gotten into the modern age, you know, I was like one of the first podcasters, but yet one of the last live streamers. Um, I'm going to keep building this and making this so awesome. Uh, I'm going to be uh, sending out an email over the, the downtime to the expert council and try to set up maybe like some expert council live streams with live active responses. But instead of doing all of them and be like super Brady bunch, maybe like bring in like four With, and not in the same place, but maybe four that are. Be kind of cool, wouldn't it, to get Ben Falk and uh, Darby Simpson and Nick Ferguson and maybe Jeff and me on an expert council Q&A on ag and permaculture. That would be badass. I don't know that anybody's ever put in a group that's that badass in that group before. Maybe we could get some guest speakers on with some of the expert council. I probably could get Greg Judy to do it if he can figure out the technological component to it on the other side of these. not very technical. Um I am uh, going to probably put together a crypto education program and I'm going to probably put together a hyd hydroponics education program, like some mini courses. Uh, those will be coming. MSB will pay like half the price that anybody else will pay for them and they won't be expensive either way. I'm working with Ken Berry on something really amazing. If you were at the workshop this year, you kind of sort of know what it is. Uh, but it's, if, if it works out, it's going to be one of the coolest things that's ever been done in that space. Um, The big thing is I'm going to try to be less comfortable. I'm going to try to be less comfortable. What's happened in all these amazing years is I've built something that is really easy to just keep the plates spinning. Put out a show every day. Bring some cool guests on. Keep the content fresh. It's not that hard. And it got really easy. Hey, will you come on my show? I, I don't have time. Can you travel here and speak here? You know, I, I really, I, you know, and I, it started out being a very good thing. I learned to say no when I used to say yes to everything and I needed to do that. But then I started saying no to too many things and I started asking. I stopped asking to get involved in other things because I like my life. I'm freaking 50 now almost, you know, and I've got grandkids and I've got a wife and I've got a homestead and I've got two dogs and I've got like 30 ducks and like I, you know, when I, when I leave, I want to go fishing. Or I want to go hunting, you know, and I don't even do that enough. But as I sit here from episode 3000 looking back, I think, yeah, we need to, we need to do some things. Uh, Mike says, what about a TSP dirt time? That would be kind of cool. Um, maybe something more like Ron did with a spring fling or something like that. Now I'm going to be at float fest, uh, this year in March and that might actually become the TSP dirt time. 
or the TSP spring fling, because then we have like a larger thing and we can be our own cell within it. And I think that that would be probably really cool, uh, to do is to, to and, and there are some things that are going to go on down that are really cool. The only thing I'm not happy about with float fest this year is I committed to it back in the summer and, uh, they hadn't quite set the dates and then they set the dates right on top of Nicole's spring workshop. And I'm like, I had told Nicole I would come to that. So I got in a bind and Nicole being who she was. So you made a professional commitment there. I get it. Go do it. You have to, you can't, you can't not do that now. Uh, but that kind of sucks because Nicole has been such a supporter of my stuff. I, I wanted to be there this year. She's going to be building a Miyagi pond. Uh, the Miyagi pond was a pretty cool invention that came out of coming here. Uh, Miyagi mornings. We did that for about a year. Uh, that was a great series. It led to Outback with Jack, which I think is fast becoming y'all's favorite. So, guys, I I just want to say thank you. And what I want to tell you, the biggest choices that I've ever made along the way that are the best things that I did. Um, even though I guarantee you, if I didn't do them, I would be bigger than I am today. Number one is I remained independent. I've been approached by radio stations. I've been approached by TV shows. I've been approached by media groups. I've been approached a, a number of times. And I have a reputation now where they don't come around as much anymore because they're like, well, Jack's just going to tell me to go fuck off. And that's pretty much what I do. Because I don't want to give up any level of control. I have plenty of people asking me to do things with conventional radio. Then I can't say shit, damn or fuck anymore. And then I have to make my content fit around their commercials. And then I have to fit. No, no. Staying completely independent, not joining any kind of work group or anything like that, uh, where you, you give up a piece of who and what you are to somebody else's control. That was the best decision. Uh, the other decision, I would say equally good. To always be me. To be the guy that if you came and met me, you're like, that's who he is. Because what I've become in the era of cancel culture is completely immune. There's nothing anybody can tell you about me if you're a follower of mine and you like what I do that you don't already know. There's there's nothing. I never softened that. I had so many people in the beginning, well-meaning people, like in the first year or two, saying, you need to think like Ronald Reagan in a bigger tent model. I'm like, I don't do politics. They're like, that's not what I mean. I'm like, I know what you mean. I don't care. I don't care. If you tune into me and you're not going to like anything about me enough to tune out, I want you to tune out as quickly as you possibly can. I want you gone. I don't want to have a fake following. I don't want a million people following me that can be derailed and turn away from me because somebody says Jack says or Jack actually believes or Jack actually thinks, and they'll go <gasps> and clutch their pearls and run away and hide. Fake-ass followers. I don't want anything to do with it. Not faking that they're not real. They're faking that they're not really real because you didn't make what they were following real. Staying independent and being true to who I am, and that's my big advice. You'll go slower. You'll never get as big as you could be. But you become very, very stable in what you are. And you end up with people that love what you do because they really know who you are. And that's the big thing I want to end with today. The future is going to be the same as it always was in a way. It's always going to be about you guys. It always will be because there's nothing without you. You're, there's, there's literally nothing without an audience when you're a podcaster or a media personality or a writer or a speaker. The audience is everything. The people that 
that pay you in the currency of time on a daily basis, that show up and listen to you, that tell other people about you, they're everything. They're everything. So, you know, you may get an email back from me once in a while. It tells you to go saw it off or something because you hit me on the wrong day with the wrong thing. But I listen. I pay attention. And when people start asking about a thing, I'll go out and find a guest. I'll go out and find an expert. I'll go out and develop the expertise myself. I'll go out and refresh myself, and I'll bring you the content. I will always work, and I will always strive to help all of you live a better life, no matter what happens. And I do think, as we end here, um, there's Jake with a question. Yeah, you should have showed up earlier, Jake. We talked about it. <laughs> you know, I, I do think that it, it's important here at the end to, to, to kind of point out that I think COVID justified everything that we ever did. Like I said, the, the proactive apathy concept, um, the quiet insurrection concept, like that was fully justified and continues to be justified what goes on with COVID. But storing food, COVID proved, proved that it was worth doing. Staying out of debt, you know, having a side hustle, building your own business. There's no doubt that today if you have your own business on your own terms in your own way, and especially if you're mobile with it, You have options that a lot of people in the country or around the world don't. It's uh, it's all been proven to be valid. Nothing that I've put out has been proven to be perfect. Nothing that I put out has been proven to be without error or fault. In fact, quite the contrary. But it's all proven valid. And uh, Danielle says COVID is BS is the best thing ever. Uh, I think in some ways it is. I think it made more people more aware. I think the tide's turning on that. I think we'll have a lot more to talk with about that in the future. And I appreciate every single one of you. And uh, if you're listening to the audio of this, this was a pretty epic chat stream. And uh, I think the video has to fully process before the chat replay comes up. But you guys may want to come check that out. Uh, I will be back tomorrow. I don't know what we'll be talking about yet. I'm kind of brain dumped at this point. But thank you to all of you. Uh, I'll read a few uh, a few of the people commenting here as we finish up. Uh, Donnie says, the show has changed my life and perspective. Discovered the show back in 2013. Keep up the amazing work, Jack. Uh, we will uh, we'll do it. We will make it happen because I uh, really don't know any other way to be, man. Tommy says, your COVID-19 medical financial advice was life-changing. Just wish I would have jumped on BTC in 2020, not 2021. Don't worry, a long time to go. And that Nicole says, looking forward to the next 3000. Yeah. I hope we can do another 3000. That'll be 28 years. Eh? Uh, it's, uh, it's been, it's been really, really epic. Uh, uh, TSL Homestead TSP has literally changed my life for the better since the first episode I listened to. Uh, so many, I can't keep going. I'm sure they'll keep coming in. Uh, it is, it is, uh, it is a revolution. And I don't know if Greg's still on, but if we ever write another song, Another anthem. We're gonna have to come up with one that uses the word insurrection. Cause this is what I want to, this is what I want to sign off with for you guys today on the, on this. And I've said this in presentations elsewhere. We are insurrectionists. We are real insurrectionists because we are committing acts of insurrection every day by growing our own food, by taking care of our families, by not complying with things that don't make sense just because somebody in charge says that we're supposed to. We are insurrectionists. And, and you might wonder what the difference between 
a revolution and an insurrection is. Revolution is where we take the power from one group of people and we strip it from them. And we give it to another group of people and install a new group of leaders. Revolutions are something that happens over a time and then they're over. A true insurrection, in my view, is ongoing. It never ends. It never stops. It never ceases. Because you take the power from those that have it, you claim it for yourself, and then you use it to improve your own life. That's what makes us all insurrectionists. On that note, though, still love the revolution is you. It will stay the theme song for a long time to come. And I'm really thinking about after looking at that video that Foster Gamble played this weekend for everybody, how fat I was. I was much younger, but I was much fatter um, about redoing that with a new intro and new pictures from you guys. So if you'd be uh, start start digging through some of your photographs, I'll give more uh, details on it probably when I come back in 2022 after the shutdown uh, for the holiday. But I think I'm going to redo the Revolution Issue video because if we had that many people with that many things they had done in their lives in 2010, I just can't imagine what it'll be now. Uh, we will keep bringing TSP to you. Here's looking to another 3,000 at least. Thanks to everybody that was part of today's show.